Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, we're celebrating Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month with New York Times best-selling comic artist, Betty C. Tang. Betty will tell us about her extraordinary new graphic novel, Parachute Kids. The story introduces readers to 10-year-old Feng Li, a Taiwanese girl who can't wait to discover the United States with her family. Suddenly, Feng Li and her older siblings get shocking news. Their parents will be heading back to Taiwan after the family's vacation, leaving the three kids to fend for themselves. By turns harrowing and hilarious, the story shows the siblings learning to navigate a strange new country and language while trying to make friends and just be kids. You won't want to miss the antics and keen observations of Feng Li, who takes the name Anne as she settles into her new home. Betty is the New York Times best-selling illustrator of the Jackie Haha series of graphic novels by James Patterson and Chris Gravenstein. She has worked for various Hollywood animation studios, including Disney TV and DreamWorks Animation. In addition to working on The Simpsons, Betty co-directed an animated feature called Where's the Dragon?, I'm delighted to welcome her to Scholastic Reads. Hi, Betty. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to talk about Parachute Kids, your new graphic novel. Please tell our listeners about it. Parachute Kids is a story about three Taiwanese siblings They are here in America on a vacation, but are suddenly told by their parents at the end of the vacation that they're here to stay. So they're moving here for good. Only the oldest sister knew about the plan ahead of time, which created immediate conflict between her and her younger brother and sister. The brother is a bit of a troublemaker, but the shocking part is that Their father continues to tell them that he is going back to Taiwan soon, later to be followed by their mother due to visa issues. Suddenly, these three siblings find themselves facing a new culture, new language, new schools, trying to make new friends. And at the same time, learning to do all the stuff their mom always did, like cooking, grocery shopping, and paying the bills. And soon... They each get into trouble of their own making, and if they don't start pulling together, there might not be a family left. Could you describe how the story is and isn't based on your own experiences growing up? The story is fiction, although inspired by my own experience as a parachute kid. The reason is that overall, my family came through the experience relatively unscathed compared to some other parachute kids' families that we knew. And so in order to create a compelling plot and nuanced characters, I had to embellish. Not to say that the experiences my characters went through were all made up. 
most were based on someone's actual shared experience. For me, my own experience, I would say the beginning of the book had more to do with me personally than the rest of the book. The first day of school, the fear, the anxiety, the rejection from fellow classmates, which led to real loneliness and depression. Because suddenly I had no friends. In my book, there was a girl named Rebecca, who was the only Chinese girl in Feng Li's class, who wanted nothing to do with her. I had such a Chinese girl in my class who wanted nothing to do with me. She was a real character. And in general, the real experience also was the discord that resulted among me and my siblings. That was 100% real, which was something I wanted to explore to see why was it that instead of us coming together in this challenging times to face a new life in America, we pull apart. The sibling battles were classic. (laughs) I could relate so well to them. You're understanding a new world. Like we're all as children, we're making things up as we go along and figuring things out. So in retrospect, what's harrowing in the moment is quite comical later on. And you really captured the tension between that. These three children are left alone in this strange country where they have to deal with bigotry and everything. And yet their interactions, you managed to make them pretty hilarious. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm happy to to hear that. Now, Anne is the heroine, the youngest girl. She's so vigilant. She's got to keep her edge to survive. She had to change her name as a child. Is that something you did as well? Yes, actually, I still remember some 42 years ago, my mom walked into the room and handed me the exact picture book. Of course, I don't remember the title, but it was a picture book. And the end of it, it was like a list of boys' names and girls' names. And she said, we're going to America. Pick a name. And I was 10, and I did not know the reason why we're picking a name. I just thought everybody who has to visit America needed to pick a name. But she didn't tell me we're moving to America. So there was a list of names, and on the very top of it was Anne. I almost picked Anne for my own name. Because I didn't know English. I didn't know the alphabet. I went down the list. I said, I can't pick the first name on the top of the list. I'd be a little bit overachiever. So I went down the list, quickly made the back up the list (laughs) and settled on Betty because below that got too hard. But for the longest time, I couldn't pronounce it. I didn't know how it sounded. It was very awkward for me to pronounce Betty. (laughs) What is the name you were born with? My Chinese name is Chiu Wei. That's where the C comes, the Betty C. Tang. I I kept the Chiu Wei as my middle name. I see. And talk about, I think it's instructive to know the desperation that parents, two people would feel to leave their children alone in another country. I think people who aren't immigrants, who haven't struggled, don't understand the calculus. I talked to my mom many times about it, and I know she's always felt regretful and apologetic, I think, a little bit. But she said it's just what they had thought they had to do, because the reason why they did it was that back in 1979, I think it was when United States changed its diplomatic recognition of Taiwan to China. And so a lot of people back then in Taiwan thought that China would invade. 
And a lot of parents made this hard decision to pack their kids up and send them wherever they could. And at the time, the destination was United States. And yet, can you imagine? But then they decided to stay in a country where there was a threat of war to keep working so they can provide for the kids instead of moving over for the kids because they felt that if they were to come, they wouldn't be able to provide economically a stable life. It's just remarkable and gutting to know what they went through at the same time their children did. Yeah. So that is an aspect I try to convey in a book. That's why I didn't go the route where a lot of times books tend to make parents the bad guys. And parents who wanted an opportunity and provided a new life for their kids are not villains. And we may not, as children, agree or understand at the time. You condense so much rich material into this novel. It's like the story of a family and yet told in such a readable way where you're turning each page and you can't wait to find out what happens. How did you do that? Good question. I just did it instinctively, but I think I have to credit my animation background. Talk a little bit about what you did. I think that'll be fascinating to our listeners. So yes, I love manga growing up. So I was a vivid manga reader. When I first came to the U.S. back in the 80s, there was no manga available. It was mostly superhero movies, superhero comic books, which I was not really into. So I decided I wanted to pursue animation as a substitute as being a manga artist. I went to CalArts and came out and worked for several Hollywood studios like Disney TV. I worked on The Simpsons and it was a really fun time. And I learned a lot in terms of drawing expressions and all sorts of different angles and study color. So yes, I felt that it prepared me pretty well to creating this graphic novel. I felt it was like a full circle because I wanted to be a manga artist and I couldn't. And now here I am, created a graphic novel. Talk about the artistic process and the urge to write this type of story. Which came first, the words or the illustrations? Definitely the words. It's much easier to change the text than the art until every word is scrutinized and until the manuscript is greenlit, I refrain from starting on the art. So to give you a sense of how much work is involved in creating a graphic novel, my book has 282 actual art pages. And so each page on average, there are about six panels. So that's about 1,600 individual panels. So there's like the sketchy, rough stage after which I have to get approval. And after everybody looked at it and gave a green light, then I have to ink it meaning the black lines of the characters, and then coloring it. So that's like drawing the story three times and almost 5,000 panels at least. Some are more, some are less. It's a lot of work. It took me about a year, I think, of the art. Wow, that's pretty great. A year isn't that much considering all of the work that goes into it. What about the color palette? I thought it was perfect for this story. I wanted the color to help convey the emotional state of the characters. I'm so happy that you noticed that because in one way I wanted it to be subtle, but I'm very thrilled that the feedback is that you noticed it and you feel that the color helped. For example, at the very beginning of the story, 
when they're suddenly pulling to the immigration office when they arrived at Los Angeles airport. I purposely turned the colors blue and cold because I wanted to emphasize a very unfriendly environment. But once they're out of the office, the colors immediately turn warm and friendly. And then when the parents are gone, I dial down the saturation level and the vibrancy of the colors as well, signifying that suddenly the joy of the families has gone, has disappeared. And towards the end, when the parents return, the color brightens a little bit. So I didn't want it to be blatantly noticeable, but, but it should have provided us a subtle visual aid to signal the readers how they should feel about any given scene. And also the text bubbles, some of them are in red, I think, when the characters are talking Chinese or thinking in Chinese. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, that I can't take full credit for. I have to give credit where credit is due. Originally, I had just planned for white speech bubbles and then with the black text signifying English and red text signifying Chinese, Mandarin. But then the art department came back later and says, oh, Betty, we usually print text in CYMK. So it's cyan, yellow, magenta, or black. We can't do red. And I was going to choose another color. But then they came back with this great solution. says, oh, we can make the speech bubble yellow and put magenta on top of it. And as it passed through, it turned red. So it was just perfect. And the yellow speech bubble actually added an extra color to the whole graphic novel. So I think it was a plus. So teamwork. Yay. I was fascinated by that. I was slow to figure it out. And then when I did, it was pretty magical. Another thing that I loved when the family is first together before the parents go back to Taiwan is eating in the restaurants, like the Chinese (laughs) restaurants. The food wasn't excellent. When we first moved here, we moved to Ventura County in Southern California. That was predominantly white neighborhood. And so a lot of the Chinese restaurants were mostly geared towards the white patrons, which is totally understandable at the time. And now we find things that are more authentic. But at the time, I just thought it was something funny. It's like they thought there's one place that could offer them a sense of familiarity and comfort this Chinese restaurant, they go in there. It was completely foreign to them. And the kids noticing that was just priceless. Now, Anne can't help but fall in love with Anne. She's so artistic. She's so observant. She's keeping track of everything. Were you at all like Anne? I would imagine you were. (laughs) No. (laughs) Who gave me that idea? Artistic, let's start with that. Wait, maybe artistic, yes. I think artistically, I'm better than Anne. I like to draw in the early age, but observant, no. I was. I think I was a clueless kid. My parents brought us here. I just went along with it and then just fumbled through. But Anne, Orphan Lee, that's her original Chinese name, is such a go-getter and determined child. She did everything she could for her family to pull it together, and I find her very admirable. And just... A joy to watch. It's a joy watching her understand the world and also sad missing her parents and being let down time and again. But she's a piece of work. Didn't you think she was excellent when you were writing her? I thought so. I actually had the most difficult 
difficulty in writing her because the older siblings, as you become older, I think you're dealing with more specific problems. But for her, at age of 10, what she really wants is her parents, her family, and friends, right? And she has very limited wants. So it was quite a challenge for me to give her that. And she's one behind the story, a driving force, right? She was actually quite a challenge for me to write. But then later on, as I work with my editor, Tracy Max, she's superb. She always make me dig really hard and examine the characters and make them more nuanced. And, and we came to the realization that, yeah, her purpose is just to hold her family together before she loses everything. Yeah. Shout out to editor Tracy Mack. Yes. Amazing job. I just absolutely loved this character. What do you hope young readers will take away from Parachute Kid? First of all, to the immigrant readers, whether they're Parachute Kids or not, I would like them to realize that they're not alone and that they can't get through this. Sometimes as a newcomer, you really feel like you're the only one. I think nowadays is better, depending on which community you're in. If you're in a community where there's a lot of immigrants, I think it's much easier because you can see right away there are other people dealing with the same situation you're in. But if you're in a situation where, like I was, where you're the only one, then you feel really alone. But my encouragement to them is just to take it one day at a time. The things will improve because I made it through. And for the non-immigrants, I hope the book will help foster in them a sense of empathy so that they do reach out and welcome a newcomer, whether immigrant or just somebody who moved across town. Somebody new, just welcome them. You're the host, the country, the school. Make people feel welcome because someday you might be in that situation. And in general, for everyone who reads the book, that the next time they have a fight, an argument with their siblings, that take a pause. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Because sometimes when we're growing up, and even as adults, I think we tend to think that we're the center of the world, that we're the only ones with the problem. But we forget that everyone else around us is dealing with stuff too. That's how I felt. The dynamic between the siblings in particular, I could relate to it so much. For us to see everyone is human, everyone is struggling, and we're all in this together. Right. I just wondered when you were little and you arrived, did you watch a lot of television or did you go to movies? I feel like that could have been really difficult too, to not see yourself in the larger culture. My English is so bad. So I watched a lot of cartoons, Looney Tunes, <laughs> Saturday yeah. morning cartoons. But as for sitcoms, I tried to watch it, but I couldn't follow it. So it just flew over my head. As for movies, no, because we couldn't get around very easily. And we just had our bicycles and we were in a suburban neighborhood. It was a little bit hard to reach. And what about the cooking? I got to ask about this older sister's cooking. <laughs> was there anything like that happening in your house? After I written this book, I come to realize that we were really mean to our older sister. Because can you imagine, my older sister was also 16 when she came. And she was a junior in high school getting ready for SAT, try to get into college. And suddenly she had to become our mom and take care of us. And none of us wanted to take orders from her. <laughs> so we made her life not very pleasant at the time. I remember that was where a lot of conflict generated from. She just didn't want to be bossed around. As for cooking, she tried. And 
my mom used to make a lot of dumplings and froze them. She knew she was going to be gone for an extended period of time. And we did live next door to a family friend. So my parents arranged it that way. They brought food over when we needed it. That was really helpful. But yeah, the cooking. I I still remember once I was telling my sister, you don't wash dishes like that. You're washing dishes wrong. And so she looked at me and goes, okay, you wash then. (laughs) I'm like, fine, I will do the dishes. I was doing the dishes and she just left me doing the dishes. And suddenly one day I realized, hey, how come I'm doing dishes? (laughs) You're doing it better. Oh, that's great. I love it. Betty, what are you working on now? I am working on Parachute Kids 2. The book was originally acquired as a two-book deal. So I always knew that their story didn't end at the end of book one. So book two picks up exactly where they left it. So their story continues. I know this is a ton of work, but I can't wait. Oh, thank (laughs) you. I really can't wait. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you and to read this book and to be introduced to your world. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This has been so fun. My great thanks again to author Betty C. Tang for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Parachute Kids and for additional OnP Month book recs for young readers, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.